0: welcome to the db podcast channel we sincerely hope you will enjoy this episode don't forget to turn on your notification bell and to follow us right here on spotify for more podcast episodes in today's episode we've got quite a controversial topic that's going around right now um one that does stand to threaten our democratic principles and it is very important that we do discuss it today we're looking at populism and social cohesion in southern africa a regional challenge or a global challenge this has been a a topic that ddp has been engaging with um, over the last month in fact our executive director um was at a CAS conference one of our funders to go discuss this exact topic and so it's fitting for us to even have it for our podcast today And for those of you who perhaps don't even know exactly what populism actually is, um, there's widespread success of populist parties in many parts of the world right now, which has stipulated views uh, and research on trying to explain what populism is, its consequences for political behavior as well. And these developments have allowed to reasonably identify these ideas of populism versus non-populism as a new cleavage, which uh, structures party competition, voter behavior, and amongst other things in in democracy. However, uh, many open questions remain um, on how to address this particular discussion. Um, And joining me today to discuss um, this topic is, uh, Dr. Sembilenberte, i so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm honored that, you know, um, we've got a mentor relationship that's going on and you're also my former supervisor. and kind of like a colleague at this point. Um, so it's, it's really awesome to, to be with you. But for those of you who don't know Dr. Meta, she briefly, this is a very brief bio, the long intensive one will be posted underneath this uh, podcast. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Pretoria and currently is a programs director as well for Future Elect amongst many other things. Um, Dr. Meta, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, tell us how are you doing? Um, how are you feeling about this topic?
1: Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm well, I'm good, um, and yeah, interested to talk about this. I've actually been asked to talk on this topic several times over the last uh, year or so, and I think that just indicates how um, much interest there is in these questions of, um, of, of populism and what it means uh, for the future of democracy, not just in the region, but globally.
0: Uh, so, Dr. Mette, uh this word populism gets thrown around quite often, and I think that um, in the academic space, we're a bit more immersed with it, a bit more familiar with it, what it means, um, very much in depth with it. But for somebody that doesn't necessarily understand what is populism to begin with, how would you define it to them?
1: The definition of of populism has been uh, really contested because it's often used by people to describe um, political views that they disagree with uh, and used really as an insult more than anything else. Um, And so there's been and there has been in recent years quite a lot of academic work uh, to try and find a uh, objective definition uh, of populism or a definition of populism that can be applied um, to a number, um, yeah, in, in a variety of situations. Um, so the way that I like to think uh, of, of, of populism is um, thinking of it as a... An ideology or a perspective of politics that basically considers that society is divided into two homogenous and antagonistic groups. And this, this definition uh, comes from a scholar uh, called Cass Mudder. And he says that um, it's an ideology where society is separated into two homogenous and antagonistic groups a pure people. So the real people of a place versus a corrupt elite. And uh, populism argues that politics should be an expression of the will of the people, the pure people. Um, And so this idea is that populism is an expression of a kind of us and them politics where we are um, authentic members of a society and the real people and then uh, and they are an elite that don't represent uh, the interests of the people. And so in ideological terms that's what um, populism um, has been defined as. Of course there are many other scholars who've also defined uh, populism as a strategy or a political style, a way of doing politics um, that really is aimed at bringing out the interests of those who are marginalized or who um, are on the peripheries uh, of society. Uh, So an idea is, uh, so the idea there is that populism is the politics of the low or those from below um, against those uh, from above. Again, there we have this distinction between, um, between a particular elite um, and the real people, uh, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, but I, and I think that the idea looking at politics, uh, at populism as a strategy or as a political style, a way of doing politics, um, then is more useful because then you can see that in a number of different types of political organizations. Um, when you look at it just p- through purely ideological lens, then it becomes very tempting to get stuck in the sort of the right-wing versus left-wing politics um, or, or, or populism or to want to define it in terms of those extremes, um, when that may not be particularly useful for understanding the phenomena that you're seeing in society.
0: Mm. Sure. Yeah, I think um, uh, the next next question I, I want to speak on is um, the fact that the way we have been seeing the rhetoric of, of populism being played out in, 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 in politics and how we um, have been engaging it in, in the news, a lot of it has been um, standing in terms of the threats, you know, this populism thing Um, has with democracy, to the point where, um, specifically with liberal democracy, to the point where um, there's multiple publications that have come out saying that populism um, promotes a sense of illiberal uh, democracy, where the democratic ideas are there, but they're not necessarily practiced to its fullest extent. So you can have the elections, but that does not necessarily mean that it is someone that you elected directly yourself. It's just a situation of you pitching there and having the elections every four years, but who is sitting there um, might be from, you know, an autocratic perspective or from a populist perspective, etc. So there's those extremes um, of the argument. But then there's the other side of the argument of people who are perhaps um, advocating for this populism and more so probably um, that first definition of it that looks at it in terms of the ideology. And over there, they can say to you that um, populism has been both corrective and a threat. Um, and so then I maybe just want to ask you when and under which circumstances do populist actors unfold positive and or negative um, effects? Sure. So.
1: Um, you know if you look at the work um th- so the theoretical work uh of scholars like uh, Ernesto Laclau and Chantal Mouffe who's actually written um quite recently uh, in i think 2020 um about uh, uh the opportunity for left populism um to 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 redefine uh politics um in, in 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 for the rest of the twenty first century i think that um, their, their view uh, all democratic popul- all democratic politics has inherently an element of populism in it in the sense that um in order to get a or it to have a Democratic um, rule by the people for the people. That implicit in that is some sense of popular uh, politics and a popular mandate, um, get receiving a popular mandate uh, to 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 govern. And certainly in uh, in particularly in Chantal Mouffe's work on um, on radical politics, um, the idea that um, that a Politics that is founded on expressing the interest on interest from below um, and um, and on moving away from the kind of technocratic view um, of democracy um, that we that that has governed the world since the fall of the Berlin Wall, or that has really come to dominate uh, since the end of the Cold War, um, that, uh, that that thinking in terms of um, uh, populist politics could revive our democracies and put life into them. And I think that the argument here is sort of two or threefold, and this is to answer the conditions under which um, populism can be renewing. The first is that since um, the 1990s and kind of Washington consensus and the, and the dominant view um, of liberal democracy is the way that everyone should be governed. Um, we, and this idea um, the Fukuyama idea of the end of history um, and, and all of it, we moved towards Uh, Globally, towards a more consensus view of politics and a more technocratic view of politics, that actually the big political questions have been settled. So, um, you know, capitalism won, uh, liberal democracy won. So with those big questions settled, then actually what the debates should be about are technical things about how governance actually happens. um, And um, and what good governance, you know, implementing good governance, not being corrupt, uh, etc. And what we've seen in the last uh, ten years or so is, and certainly even longer, if you look at um, at at the uh, leftist revolutions in 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 Latin America um, in the late nineties and early two thousands, is that. Um, This tamping down of politics, saying, well, politics doesn't matter anymore, Uh, we just need to govern properly, actually masked um, and created a false sense of stability, and masked uh, the actual political dynamics and the power battles that were taking place in societies all over the world. Um, And so... Although um, all the big elite uh, organizations, um, many academics spoke about the world as if we were in some kind of post-politics era, Uh, what we've seen certainly in the last um, 10 years, which you've seen um, in, in, in the West since 2016, is the return of politics and that those Values and principles that we thought were settled; those big questions actually are not settled. Uh, so, what kind of economic system uh, is most appropriate for um, for people and societies to thrive? Um, even you know what we're seeing in the United States. Um, what kind of um, autonomy should women have over their bodies? Um, all of these questions that were assumed to have been long settled have actually not been, And uh, our political debates in our societies are not about technical things of governance. They actually are fundamental questions about what is a good life for people to live. Um, we've seen it in South Africa even with the you know, the RET, the radical economic transformation versus the renewal, and um, that these are big questions about whether the political economic structure of our society is, um, is serving uh, everyone that it needs to serve. And so in that context, um, in this, you've seen populist politics rising as a backlash against um, this, uh, technocratic view of politics that really emerged um, after the Cold War. The second thing is that you've also seen populist politics emerging in different ways um, in different societies as people grapple with, with economies that are in decline and that are not serving um, the majority of people within a society and um, the kind of fracturing that we've seen within societies between those who can, um, with exit, who can leave a society and find opportunity elsewhere and those who cannot. Um, and so we've seen, and I think in terms of the right-wing populism, a real, you um, uh, backlash against globalization, um, against the integration of markets, of supply chains, um, and against the movement of people, and, and, and against uh, immigrants um, in different societies. And in those, and while there are um, grievances around economies not working for the people that they're meant to work for, um, and and um, in a place like South Africa, very, very, very high unemployment. Um, what populist politics does, or one of the aspects of populism is that it seeks to find simple solutions for very complex problems. And so what populist leaders do is that they put forward um, and firstly, a very simplistic diagnosis of what the problem is, and then a a, a simplistic um, a simple solution to problems that are actually far more complex um, than um, and, and require and will require a lot more time to be able to deal with. Um, and so that second thing about economic challenges, I think is an important one to understand how populism emerges in, in different societies. And then a final one, which is linked uh, to the second is there is a global, I think, sense that politicians um, and, and formal politics is not ref- responsive to the needs of the people that are being governed. And I think there's a crisis of democracy in that respect where um, people in different democratic dispensations across the world are feeling that that the democratic process is not yielding outcomes that contribute to those people's well-being and, and that improve their lives. Um, And certainly um, in elections uh, all over the world, uh, we have seen that people are choosing um, illiberal leaders or or, or choosing um, big men, uh, you know, authoritarian leadership because they don't feel that democracy um, is really fit for purpose, or is leading, or is improving their life outcomes. And so because of these, so these three um, kind of conditions, I think, are, are, are part of what leads to populism emerging in a society.
0: Yeah, so um, it's so interesting that you, the observation you made about how most of the time um, populist leaders try to provide um, simple, like solutions to something far more complex and I think we can think of it in, in terms of like the global side of things uh Trump's famous uh, make America great again that was his slogan his line throughout his entire campaign throughout his possible 2024 campaign um where you know in just that statement alone there's somewhat of an acknowledgement that America is not in a good place and we just need to make it great again. Um, and so then, a lot of the the conversation that was revolving around that was when was America ever great, um, and when it was great, and um, when was someone not oppressed in that particular moment. So what exactly do you mean? So I think that's a pretty cool example of of how um, they can suggest these simple solutions, but then there isn't like this uh, concrete um, and also uh, com- complex and comprehensive. Um, answer towards those particular problems. Now, I I do wanna bring it a bit closer though to home, right? Because I think um, this conversation of populism, it's a bit more easier to identify these things on an international scale of things. Um, You know, with your your Trumps, with what had happened with Brexit as well back in 2016, um, and then also maybe with the recent French elections. it's very easy to be like, yeah, that's definitely populism and, and also in Brazil. Um, but here in South Africa, right, uh, democracy is something that is almost um, innate to our national identity, if we even have an identity. But I think that would be a different uh, conversation on a podcast. But it's, it's very enshrined in our uh, values as a nation, supposedly, um, that democracy is something that has to be upheld. And one of the reasonings behind that is that democracy is representative of what the people want. Um, And the context in which that was done was obviously that transition from apartheid over into our new very young democracy that we have right now. Um, A question I have here, I think is twofold. Number one, Um, what does representation actually look like in populism? Um, Is there perhaps some misconceptions that people have that in populism you don't get represented at all? Um, Or is it perhaps another side of the coin of you actually do get represented, it might just look different? And then the second question I have is, um, with our parties like the the EFF, along with Action SA very recently now, um, that are somewhat on two spectrums, Um, of this populist rhetoric, um, how are they somewhat embodying this representation idea through uh, populism since these two parties have somewhat been accused of being populist parties?
1: Sure thing. Um, So I'm going to say that I don't, I think that democracy as a value held by uh, by South African people is a lot more tenuous um, than you then we then it seems right that i think that um there are there is a lot of democratic freedom that we take for granted um as South Africans, so for example, the freedom to insult the president and to, there's things that South Africans can do that um, that are impossible in other parts of, of the continent or certainly in many parts of the world. Um, and I think that there's things like that, there's democratic freedoms in terms of um, in terms of speech, in terms of movement that we do take for granted. However, I also think that there are people are dissatisfied with what with the material outcome of democracy since 1994 that um, just this exercise of voting every five years um, just doesn't seem to have led to any material change or improvement in people's lives. And we are seeing, I think, a backlash to democratic pro- politics precisely because um, of a lack of material improvement for people. Um, when 70% of your population under the age of 24 is unemployed, um, that uh, it, it it is... And surprising that people will um, that the idea of an authoritarian leader will appeal to people, um, and certainly research that has been done uh, by the Afrobarometer um, in the last year showed it was an astonishing number of people. I think was it, it was um, well over fifty percent of of the people that they interviewed said that they would give up elections if it meant that. Um, it, it meant that uh, it, there would be um, employment uh, for everyone, that they'd live in safe uh, communities, so that there would be a reduction in crime, um, and that there would be an improvement in, in in healthcare and other standards of living. And so um, certainly, I think that people are questioning the value of democracy because they're not seeing and material improvement in their lives. Um, In terms of representation, one of the uh, markers of populist politics or populism um, in, in, in political organizations is this idea or this evocation of the people as the true holders of sovereignty. So if you think of, uh, sort of politics 101, one and you think of uh, of of states as sovereign in that they have uh, they they have the legal right to govern themselves as they see fit um, but when we talk about states as sovereign, often that sovereignty is held uh, by is embodied in a, in a particular leader, so whether that's a monarch or within a particular government. Um, and those people then exercise the sovereignty that is held within the state. The idea of, um, with, with populist politics, the idea is that sovereignty is actually, the true holders of, of sovereignty are the people. And so the people should be able to, um, decide uh, how they are governed um, the political uh, systems and the economic systems uh, under which uh, they, they live. That should not be decided uh, by, uh, by particular elites, political elites, financial elites, uh, etc. And so this idea of, 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 of popular sovereignty is really at the heart of uh, of representation, then through a populist lens, um, that uh, that the representatives of the people um, should be acting in a way um, that maintains uh, the sovereignty of the people um, and doesn't undermine it, um, and that the sovereignty of the people is not a nice to have or something that you can ignore, but is really at the heart of democratic politics. Um, and in South Africa, you have seen, um, and I think you first saw with the EFF when the EFF first emerged, um, a, that they appealed very much Uh, to the people uh, that it sees as the true uh, people of South Africa, so poor, marginalized South Africans, Black South Africans, um, who were exploited not just by political elites, but by capital, uh, by financial um, elites and economic elites, and that the IET sought to represent those people's interests and to bring their interests to the center um, of the country's political economy. Um, And in terms of using, of thinking of populist style, um, and the scholar Benjamin um, Moffat has written quite a lot about this, Um, you know, using crises uh, and threats and and break down using those moments, um, to, and to to catalyze um, uh, political changes, but also um, behaving badly. Uh, politics, disc- populist discourse is coarse. Often, uh, if you think of Duterte in in the Philippines or Donald Trump himself, you know, being very proudly a coarse. Um, and a uh, politician um, and using, um, inapro- being inappropriate uh, as a way to challenge the establishment and to challenge uh, e- elites. Um, what I found interesting with the EFF is that, so that, so when the EFF first um, was founded in 2013, um, and I think until um, about twenty. 17, 2018, um, there was a lot about the EFF's approach to politics um, and its political strategy um, that fit within a particular academic um, understandings of populism and of populist politics. Um, however, as the EFF has become more uh, established, and I think the EFF used, despite the fact that it um, it it criticised and 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 still does and and challenged um, fundamental parts of of our of our democracy and our political system, uh, so you know, challenging the dress code for Parliament or. Uh, or, or wanting to heckle in a particular way, the Fed still used and continues to use uh, the very systems that it challenges in order to achieve its interests. so whether um, using parliamentary rules uh, to to challenge the Speaker of parliament um, or to, or using the court system um, in order to to to, to challenge uh, the government. Uh, And so there's always been this tension in the way that the EFF approaches uh, its politics. What I find particularly interesting, though, is that the EFF, the least popular of the EFF's policy positions, which is its position on pan-Africanism and open borders, um, so the least populist part of the EFF's EFF's politics um, has really affected its popularity um, and gained a lot of and gained a lot of criticism uh, from voters that otherwise I think would vote for it uh, or who otherwise would and would agree with other parts of the of the party's political program uh, and the EFFs view on uh, on 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 pan-African, on open borders within the African continent, does distinguish it to some degree from other populist movements uh, globally, uh, which tend to be anti-immigrant. But it is consistent in some ways with the uh, Latin American leftist politics that that that. The EFF's leadership uh, admires so Hugo Chavez, um, and um, and so that different views. uh, Yeah, so so the EFF's um, least popular position, um, I think, differentiates it from other populist parties, not just in the country but globally. Action they say is a very interesting one for me because they. seek to unite South Africans across class and across race. And certainly if you look at their at the demographics um, of their membership, or even if you look at how they performed in the, in the local government elections, um, they did well across demographic um, areas. Um, but they have taken up a very crude uh, populist view of immigration. And really taken the idea of popular sovereignty uh, to an extreme, in the sense of um, of appealing to uh, whatever the popular view is. Um, on some of the major issues that are facing uh, uh, the country, whether or not with those positions or those perspectives are consistent with our constitution or with the founding values of our democratic order. Um, And so, for example, Herman Mashaba, I think it was yesterday or a few, so we're speaking now at the end of May, uh, but Herman Mashaba um, released a statement supporting uh, the death penalty and saying that the if, that action essay would bring back the death penalty, uh, if it will bring back the death penalty if it wins the election in 2024. Now, the, the judgment striking down the death penalty was the first judgment of our constitutional court, um, because the right to life is enshrined, is the first right enshrined in our constitution. And so the idea that um, any political party, once it comes into power, can just change uh, that kind of policy is such a simplistic solution or perspective on a very complex issue of South African crime, and particularly crime against um, and and gender-based violence. Um, and what causes it and how to deal with it. Uh, And so, and of course, the Action Essay's perspective on on immigration and seeing the solution to South Africa's unemployment problem as just banning immigrants from the rest of the continent without dealing with the structural causes um, of of South Africa's unemployment crisis. Um, We've seen or movements like Operation Dudula and others also emerging. Um, And I think that all of these are coming from a deep and legitimate frustration with a political elite that just seems to have no clue about how people, ordinary South Africans live and the challenges um, that that we face. Um, And, Looking for a kind of governance and, and people who will govern that actually understand the lives of the people that they are governing.
0: Well, um, just to have a little bit of a wrap up I'm at this point, I'm pretty certain we've gone over time, but uh, I'm super chilled with that. It's such this is such an awesome conversation. Um, I'm very glad that you mentioned, you know the kind of coexistence or lack of coexistence between um, immigration and populism um, and how traditionally um, populistic views don't want immigration or don't want to deal with it. They want the closed borders. Um, And then there's this distinct EFF that's like, no, open everything. um, It's part of the Pan-African vision. Um, And I think a lot of times Um, And and, and, yeah, a lot of times in in South Africa, issues that have to do with xenophobia are sometimes discussed at a surface level um, in the sense of we don't want people who are not from South Africa because they're taking our jobs. And so close close the borders. Um, But you've said over here that, you know, it's far more complex than that. Um, in in, in the sense that how populists would be dealing with that or responding to it um, is just by saying, okay, we're just gonna close the borders and that solution is going to be solved. And all things regarding employment are now going to be fixed in our country. Um, But South Africa is in a bit of a precarious position because we are one of the core members in the AU. Um, We have had a a president sit on, on the AU um, and we have had previous uh, presidents that have spoken about that vision of Pan Africanism, um, and presidents that are for the continental integration. And you know, it's it's Africa Month, and it is the celebration of that continental unity um, and freedom from oppression, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but where does populism uh, fit in 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 this narrative, in this vision of Pan Africanism? Um, is this EFF side of things of opening up the borders, in fact, accommodating of that? Or um, is it perhaps time to put aside um, the successes of the AU and focus on, quote unquote, what the people want, as populism would argue?
1: Look, I think that there's there's a whole lot of complexity around the issues of immigration. I think what we've done um, is that we and many of the discussions on this issue conflate two. Um, they conflate two things. So the first one, the, the, so there's the issue of um, of afrophobia, right? Which uh, is a, a hatred, a dislike, a fear of uh, foreigners from the rest of the continent. Um, uh, uh, amongst people, so there's that. But there's a, and a view that those people are stealing jobs and all the rest of it. Um, but then there's also a second part of it, which I think is about the failures of South Africa's immigration system and home affairs' failures in appropriately managing and... Um, immigration, the immigration side of home work. And that uh, many of the failures, many of the things that people raise um, about uh, immigrants coming into the country and they, and they uh, don't have the proper documentation and all of that uh, they don't have the proper documentation people are here illegally. A lot of that is actually because home, home affairs failure. Um, that uh, it's it's immensely difficult to get proper documentation if you come in um, as seeking refuge or, or as an asylum seeker. The processes are um, notoriously slow and inefficient. Um, there is a great deal of corruption at our borders um, and a lot of collusion at the borders between um Home affairs officials, uh, border security, um, and uh, and and private interests uh, that you know at all of, of of the borders in the country, and so there is significant policy and governance failure uh, around immigration um, that is not serving not just South Africans but 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 also. Um, immigrants seeking refuge and, and, and seeking asylum. But because we have conversations about the, we talk about the issue of xenophobia and the issue of, 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 immig- of policy and governance failure as the same thing. We, we conflate the two um, and we are then never getting beyond Uh, the discussion of all the different problems to really trying to define what the solutions um, are. And the solution isn't to, in my view, the solution isn't to just close the border, um, but it is to actually manage your immigration system in a way that makes sense. um, And that is consistent with, with the values that we claim to hold uh, as as a country, and so what and what populist politici- what you know pop- populist politicians have done is that they take um, these very complex problems and try to provide the most simplistic uh, solutions to them uh even though
0: that won't be helpful to anyone all right dr m thank you so much uh for for this conversation um thank you for for being our guest i think it was um very wonderful to hear your views and um i think our our, our listeners are probably going to um agree I just want to remind everybody that our Youth in Dubai event is coming up on the 15th of June. Um, At this point, uh, RSVPs are still open up until the 31st of May, however, um, once the 31st of May has passed, you'll only be able to attend the event over Zoom. Um, All information regarding that is available on our social media platforms at ddp-democracy and i will come back to you guys next month with all things youth related um in celebration of our youth month uh and i I cannot wait again dr ham thank you very much for for joining us uh today Uh, until next time thank you so much well we really hope you enjoyed this episode check out our social media pages at ddp underscore democracy to engage with more of our content or you can head on over to our website at ddp.org.za to keep up with any events that we might have planned for you thank you once again for joining us